This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. Taking a look at the issues surrounding the health and well-being of our LGBTIQ communities, this is Well, 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 brought to you every week by Thorn Harbour Health. Here on Well, 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 uh, where we delve into the issues impacting and surrounding the health and well-being of our gender, sex and sexually diverse communities. Uh, you with Jack and Rachel here in Joy's Victorian Pride Centre Studios. And we're now joined by Star Lady, uh, the Program Manager at uh, the Zoe Bell Gender Collective to discuss consent, particularly um, in our trans and gender diverse communities. Um, thank you so much for your time. I, I guess, first of all, what would... Uh, what you think would be a simple question, um, but seems to confuse some people. Uh, Star Lady, what is consent? Well, I don't necessarily think I'm an expert on consent, but it is something in, like, the, I guess, the development of trans femme and other work that I've done within the community, something that I've learnt more along the way. And so I guess consent is, like, really it's an agreement between people in regards to sex and intimacy. But, you know, consent must be, like, clearly and freely communicated and it needs to be something that's ongoing also i guess in terms of some sort of complexities of consent you know consent can't be given like in around like underage individuals um when people are are intoxicated or incapacitated by drugs or alcohol or they're asleep or unconscious and consent has to be free from manipulation coercion and pressure and it can also be withdrawn at any time i guess we're more talking now uh in and around like uh that we need to be engaging in in enthusiastic consent and so in terms of like enthusiastic consent it's really we've just got to be really clear about like having that like really clear uh communication and that we like ask people in and around you know what they like how they feel comfortable um if we're sort of changing the type of like sexual activity we might be engaging people in um we've got to confirm uh confirm i guess that there's like you know before touching people that it's sort of reciprocal and that that touch is like wanted um we have to be really clear and letting people know that it's all right to say no or it's all right to say you can like letting your partner know you can stop at any time or if anything feels uncomfortable you know that you can like they can stop or it's all right to have a breather you know things like that like it's really we've got to constantly this space of like checking in and you know making sure that we're sort of like listening to both um verbal cues but also physical cues so when people are like feeling like seeming like they're physically uncomfortable or they're not responding or they're frozen things like this at thorn harbour health last week i was lucky enough to be part of a brilliant training session that you ran around issues that trans women face particularly uh when dating heterosexual identifying men uh, do, do you think the lines around consent get even more blurred when it comes to TGD populations? And, and if so, why do you think this is so? I 
think that it does it doesn't get necessarily you know get more uh, i think it just gets there's more sort of complexities and there's more things that we do, that the general population may not be aware um that are impacting trans and gender diverse people that might sort of impact their consent and there's just things that people mightn't know about us like you know one of the things i guess is around language like trans and gender diverse people often use different language to describe their bodies um, before you just go and assume the language that somebody uses to describe their bodies it's really important that you ask permission is it okay if i talk to you about the language that you use to describe your body and what is the appropriate way for me to use i think trans people in our society are really sort of like highly objectified and fetishized and when we're talking i guess about fetishization we're talking about where trans women are sexually desired only because of their or trans people broadly but including trans women and a trans woman are sexually desired only because of their trans identity or particular aspects of their bodies skin color race ethnicity or and are treated in a really one dimensional way and so some of the ways that that sort of like objectification and fetishization can come out is that people just asking straight up um before even getting to know one another explicit questions around trans and gender diverse people's bodies and we just have the right to our privacy and it mightn't be the very first thing that people want to talk you know talk about or it can be a really sensitive issue for trans people we really get want people to i guess consider like ask permission before you ask those questions and also is there a more do you need to ask that question straight away <laughs> or if you are looking for you know other people they're looking for trans people with a particular type of body you know that perhaps that they could put that forth and so instead of asking invasive questions towards trans people around their bodies it could be like hey i'm looking for this type of body and this type of experience is that something that might work for you and then rather than you know uh, trans people you know having that face invasive question that can sometimes be really hurtful we can choose whether we want to like you know continue that interaction or not i also think in terms of like by consent it can be really complicated by that i guess fetishization discrimination and that actually relationships are harder to access and i think this makes consent harder for people in particular for you know trans women when i guess you're treated with within society when you're experiencing so much transphobia or trans misogyny it can really wear you down and you can have a lower sometimes we can have a really lower bar of what's acceptable behavior we might in some of us may not have be be treated with respect before so we may not know that and so it's really important that we're checking in with trans women to make sure in particular that they know that they can say no when we interviewed people in trans fam i guess one of the concerning things that i heard was this story of trans women or trans feminine people feeling like obliged like to have uh sex with people even if it made them uncomfortable like a lot of many trans women or trans people broadly might experience um uh you know body dysphoria distress or discomfort with particular parts of their bodies 
And, you know, many people who date trans people mightn't be aware of it. And sometimes one aspect of, like, you know, fetishization, for example, is that some men might fetishize trans women who haven't had bottom surgery. But for trans women who experience body dysphoria with that particular part of their body, that can be extremely distressing. Uh, so it's really important that we're doing that sort of, like, check-in and letting people know and letting people know that they're not obliged, mm. especially if men can sometimes be, I guess, like manipulative or coercive. They know that trans really women are vulnerable. They know sometimes that it's harder for us to access relationships. Sometimes they might promise the world to us. <laughs> you know, they might go, I love you. I'm going to date you. We're going to be together. We're going to have a fabulous relationship. But all they're sort of really after is sex. And then as soon as they get that sex and they have that gratification, they treat the trans women really disrespectfully and they leave. I think that's sort of like really coercive and manipulative. Mm. Mm. Oh, no, there are some of my thoughts. <laughs> you mentioned it earlier. Um, I guess, what do we know about rates of sexual violence towards trans women? Yeah, well, I think, you know, some of the rates that we've seen in terms of, the, um, I guess, the Australian Trans and Gender Diverse Sexual Health Survey was something like 36% of trans women had experienced uh, sexual violence or coercion, uh, yeah, so, you know, the rates, of, they're higher than that of uh, cis women. Uh, I think some of it also, when we're looking at that violence, it's also, like, who are the perpetrators, and some of those perpetrators, you know, with higher rates of perpetration from cis men. And so also, you know, there might be other influencing factors, visibility, the type of people that you date, you know, those types of things as well. Like, I know that amongst, just anecdotally, amongst my friends my friends who are trans women who date cis men, a lot of us have experienced sexual violence and coercion. Now, the Victorian Law Reform Commission is proposing changes around consent. Now, one of the issues where this could affect people living with HIV is the inclusion of a circumstance where fraudulent representations can remove consent. So, for example, this means that if you lie about uh, your HIV status and then have sex with someone, even if there is no risk of transmission, you could be charged with sexual assault if the other person were to make a complaint to the police that they would not have had sex had they have known the other person was positive. Now, this same law could also affect trans and gender diverse people if they misrepresented being trans. Stella, what are your thoughts about these proposed changes and the implications that could be around this? Yeah. Well, I think, so. I mean, some of it's the, these issues, like there's like complexity in terms of like, I mean, for like we're talking about disclosure, trans people, uh, you know, disclosing their identity. You, um, yeah, and there is like significant amounts of myths in our society that trans people, in particular trans women, are out there trying to trick or deceive people. And these myths are often used to enact violence against uh, trans people and, you know, trans women. I mean, not all in terms of like identity. There could be lots of 
different reasons why trans and uh, gender diverse people, you know, choose not to disclose that information, like, upfront. Some trans people, uh, you know, some people might not identify as transgender. They might identify, uh, you know, having a trans and gender diverse history or experience, but they don't identify, you know, as trans. There can be so many different safety reasons why you might not disclose that information, including, like, verbal and physical abuse, sexual assault, uh, negative experiences in, in terms of, like, historic experiences of discrimination or social exclusion. Many trans people sometimes choose to go stealth. You know, stealth is like a slang term in our community for trans people who don't, who once uh, they affirm their gender identity, don't disclose that information about their trans history to anyone in their lives whatsoever because of, you know, often their experiences of discrimination and stigma. So I think, you know, we need to put that, we need to be thinking about the sort of like, um, you know, the intimate family violence and sexual assault risk to trans and gender diverse people. Yeah, and people have the right to disclose that information when they choose. Mm. Here on Well, 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 Jack and Rachel are in the studio speaking with uh, Star Lady uh, from the Zoe Bell Gender Collective uh, about issues around consent, especially within our trans and gender diverse communities. One of your aims is to encourage um, LGBTIQ health organizations to engage um, with heterosexual men who are in relationships with trans women or people who identify as trans femme. Can you take us through that and what you see LGBTIQ health orgs, um, what they can offer and what those benefits might be? Yeah, well, I think, you know, from many of our LGBTI organisations have come from a history of, you know, uh, work within the HIV sector where there was a lot of work around men having sex with men. But I don't think that that has adequately translated yet into uh, men who have sex with trans women, regardless of how they identify. Some of those people will identify as bisexual, straight, lots of different identities. But, you know, for too long, this has, I guess, been centred, you know, as a a trans women's, you know, issue. But until we start actually engaging, you know, broader society, so there's a significant amount of prevention work that needs to be done because the relationships between trans women and cis men are really highly stigmatised within our society and the, the sort of stigma, the shame, the discrimination ends up on significant barriers for trans women in accessing healthy and respectful relationships and we deserve the same respect, we deserve the same access to love, to romance and relationships that other people in our society do. And so we really need our LGBTI organisations to, I guess, like step up in doing that broader prevention work. So changing the culture where, you know, cis men's like family, friends and broader communities will support them and respect them in their sort of relationships uh, with trans women. But we also need, I guess, more programs to support cis men in having healthier and respectful relationships with trans women. Some of them might be support groups where they might need sort of support, you know, because they're also experiencing discrimination and stigma. Um, But also it might be about men's behaviour change because until those men's behaviours change and they're more respectful 
And it's not going to change for us as trans women who date cis men. Obviously, trans women do date, a, you know, a spectrum of people, not just um, uh, cis men, but I think there's particular stigma and particular risk of, like, intimate and family violence for trans women who do date uh, cis men. We are seeing such a backlash and, and, and offensive language, especially being directed towards trans women at the moment. We've got you know the bathroom laws happening across America, We've, but it seems to be permeating across a lot of different societies at the moment, especially online, that we are seeing this this sort of aggression coming out. Why do you think this is happening at the moment particularly? Uh, I mean, I think that's incredibly, like, complex but i would say you know we've got a we've had a growing level of social acceptance around um you know in particular gay and lesbian rights uh you know globally uh but i think now the right is really sort of looking at the vulnerabilities in our communities and where there's less social understanding and support, and that's around trans and gender diverse people, and in particular trans women. There are so many myths in our society around trans women, and they're using that not just to attack the trans uh, trans women, but the trans and gender diverse community broadly and LGBTI organisations, uh, LGBTI communities broadly. One of the things that I think is we haven't done the work within the LGBTI sector around identifying and responding to trans misogyny and the failure of our communities to do that is creating this incredible risk where it's like, you know, the right now is going, okay, <laughs> the best way, the easiest way, the most effective is to attack trans women and that we have, <laughs> we as trans women have really sort of like suffered you know, in, in that, I think, and, you know, I think in particular now for the trans and gender diverse community broadly, we're talking about, like, there's going to be, you know, the potential for increase in risk of, like, family violence, of intimate partner violence, of sexual assault, and street-based, like, harassment and violence. Yeah, and that, I think that, I don't know, I know that trans people, in particular trans women, aren't feeling incredibly supported or safe right now in our communities. And we really need to, as a community, to get behind, you know, trans women and address this. And we need to invest in it. And we need to support trans women in particular. This is actually interesting because, and this is something that was touched on in, in the training as well, but but that, that we are seeing trans women being particularly targeted. I'm not saying that you know there's sort of a hierarchy of discrimination here, but if we talk about sports, if we talk across yeah. the board, uh, bathroom laws, for example, all of that, it does pinpoint trans women. Why do you think there is a bit more backlash in this way towards trans women as opposed to, say, trans men or people who identify as transmasculine? Yeah. I mean, I think, well, because, like, trans misogyny, so the intersection between transphobia and misogyny is really rampant in our society, and it doesn't actually exist within all cultures. I've travelled across the world. Some of the myths, like, there's been a real history in our sort of film and television portraying trans women as, uh, you know, as violent perpetrators, you know, and those myths have become really ingrained within our society and really sort of like prominent and we haven't challenged them 
you know, enough. Yeah. And yeah, and so I think these like real like significant myths and hatred of trans women in particular get sort of like dra- you know dragged out, and um, that people don't have the sort of like skills and understanding to be able to challenge those myths and those stereotypes. And we really need to work on that. And I think you know some of that creates like I want to, I am sort of like working on campaigns that are talking about. You know, um, I guess the the united front between trans women and cis women. Our rights are not mutually exclusive. In fact, you know, the rights of trans women and you know our movements intersect. You know, because what we're talking about is we're talking about addressing the drivers of violence. We're talking about outdated gender stereotypes and rigid gender roles which harm trans and gender diverse people, which harm trans women, and that breaking down those barriers together and having united front will actually, you know, create like a healthier society. Instead of this idea that trans women are a threat to cis women, actually we have really um, common and united goals. And I think we need to work much more closely with the prevention section and with women's organisations. Like, we need to build them between trans and gender diverse organisations and, I guess, feminist organisations. I guess if, if people are curious to find uh, more information around these issues or indeed um, around uh, support uh, if they are facing these issues um, in our trans and gender diverse communities, um, where can people go? Depends. Like, there's lots. Of, obviously, we have like our LGBTI services, uh, Rainbow Door, Q Life, Thorn Harbor Health, uh, Drummond Street Services. You know, amongst some, if they're wanting to learn more about the relation, healthier relationships between trans women and cis men, they can organize. They can access uh, transfem.com.au. But also, I guess there's a lot of work that organisations such as Rainbow Health Australia are doing, which is around pride in prevention, you know, uh, which I think, you know, talks about more of the campaigns that we need to do to, you know, tackle some of the drivers of violence against our communities that include like cisnormativity, heteronormativity, those things. All right. Thanks so much for joining us and thanks for that uh, amazing, your experience and the information that you give to our communities and the work that you do. And I'd highly recommend anyone, um, just every, everyone actually going and checking out uh, the Transfem website. Thanks for joining us, Star Lady. You're welcome. Solidarity to all the trans women out there. <laughs> thanks for listening to Well, 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 your show for LGBTIQ health and wellbeing, presented by Joy Sponsor, Thorn Harbour Health. For more on these topics and much more, check out Thorn Harbour on social media at Thorn Harbour or via the website thornharbour.org. Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Help keep Joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.